Welcome once again to the Toward Wholeness Podcast. This is where you're able to find next steps that you can take toward wholeness in spirit and soul and body. I'm your host, Richard Dahlstrom. It's a joy to be back with you after essentially a summer off, lots of conference speaking and travel here and there. But now as we head into the fall, we're entering a new season here on the podcast where our primary theme during this season is going to be looking at our relationship with our own bodies and how the body fits into that spirit, soul, body, wholeness theme. And I will just say at the outset that it's quite often the case that in communities of faith, the body isn't addressed very much. And yet it is the Apostle Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that we would be whole in our spirit and our soul and our body. So over the coming months, we'll be talking to a cardiologist and addressing uh, the health of our sleep patterns and the health of our sexuality. But today, it's a real joy to be addressing the topic of food and nutrition. And I know at the outset that many people have a tortured relationship with food. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation with an old friend of mine named Lisa Fliegor. Lisa is a registered dietitian and nutritionist at the Tahoe Forest Hospital in Truckee, California, and holds a master's degree in nutrition from Bastyr University in Washington State, and has completed chef's training programs at the Natural Gourmet Institute for Health and Culinary Arts in New York City. Along with being in private practice, she's also a faculty member at the University of Nevada, Reno, working at the Wellness and Weight Management Clinic. She she offers cooking classes throughout the year to all ages, including kids and teens and parents and adults, and is interested in kind of these niche themes related to nutrition, including diabetes prevention, sustainable weight loss, heart health, sports nutrition, digestive health, and mindful eating. Lisa lives in Truckee, uh, used to live in Seattle, and so she attended the church I led and we became friends. She loves to hike and run and bike and ski and living in the mountains, of course, takes full advantage of that mountain lifestyle, getting outside whenever she can. So, Lisa, thanks a bunch for being with us today. It's a joy to have you on the podcast, and I look forward to hearing about your thoughts and take on this place where food intersects the spiritual life uh, that we're created to enjoy. So thanks for being here, and I just want to begin by letting our guests get to know you a little bit and ask the question how you ended up choosing nutrition as a field and vocational choice, the, this is really where you invest your life. How did that happen for you? Thanks, Richard. I know it's fun to be here. Um, I actually remember my dad sending me tapes of your sermons when I was in college. <laughs> and I he sent me a bunch of them, but yours jumped out at me right away. So it's fun to um, have known you for decades. I feel like my career in nutrition, and it's more than a career, I'd say it's my passion and calling, um, chose me. (laughs) Um, So I'll start with like, I love food. I love to eat. It's always been, even as a little kid, something I've been kind of obsessed with. Um, My mom has, you know, we have old family photos and there's one that jumps out at me when people ask me like how I got into it. And it's me. I was probably like three And my brother is probably like one and we're sitting on the kitchen floor and I'm feeding him. (laughs) And I'm sure my mom's trying to cook dinner and do like a million other things. But the look on my face is like, 
I'm so ecstatic. <laughs> so um, I love food and I also love to feed people. And I feel like it's really been um, just a calling to help people navigate that part of their life and that part of their health. So it's not just nutrition, but their relationship to food. Um, and then I would say as a teenager, I've always loved like science and nature. So it kind of led me into looking into healthcare. And when I started looking into healthcare as a job, um, a lot of the problems jumped out at me of like, it just seems like we put a bandaid on problems and don't actually fix them. Like what's the root cause? So I think I just gravitated towards this idea of prevention in healthcare and wellness. And so between that and loving to eat, <laughs> it kind of took me down um, to nutrition. So love that. It's a, it's a really good segue. And actually into my first question, uh, I think it was Hippocrates who said like 2,500 years ago, let food be your medicine. And then one of my kind of heroes of the faith from about a thousand years ago is this woman named Hildegard of Bingen. She's this eco-feminist mystic nun who was also essentially a healer. She was in charge of the infirmary at the, mon at the monastery. And so she started using herbs and fasting and uh, recommending diet as a huge part of her healing protocol. And I know that those same techniques continue to be used today in uh, some circles in Europe, I would say more than here in the States. And, and there was this sense in her work and this word from Hippocrates that uh, food is like, so vital to both healing our bodies and sustaining our bodies for the prevention of injury. And yet, if I can speak bluntly, I haven't been in the hospital often, but when I have been in the hospital, the food has been terrible and, and like not, not food that I would eat at home because it has too much sugar content or too many bad fats and that kind of thing. And so it seems like in our culture, there's a there's a disconnect between uh, food and healing, and I wonder if you've thought about why that's the case. I mean, there's it's complicated <laughs> why that's the case. I mean, I do work in healthcare, like I work in outpatient healthcare, um, where I feel like I get to work with patients that are really wanting to make that connection and use food as healing and a way to be healthier. Um, and so I see that in inpatient, the food um, not being, you know, health supportive that way. But I would say how we've gotten to such a negative kind of relationship with food, I think does boil down to like, we live in a fallen world and there's sin in this world and you know, food is such a vital part of like our physical bodies surviving that, of course, it's going to get wrapped up into that. Um, so like I say, we live in a toxic food culture, um, food, you know, big food companies, their point is not to look out for our health, but to make money. So it just gets corrupt on so many levels. You know, that's interesting. I just was last night listening to an interview of Cory Booker, who is introducing some legislation to rethink kind of the farm bill in the United States. And the illustration that he used was uh, 
if you live in certain inner city places where there's kind of food scarcity, it's hard to go to the grocery store. He said it's easier and cheaper to buy a Twinkie than an apple. Yeah. And it goes back to uh, farm subsidies, right? Right. So it becomes then not just a, a health issue, but in some ways a justice issue because people who are living in these places of food scarcity are having a hard time even accessing uh, healthy and nu- and nutritious food. How do you address that in your location? It's you're dealing more, I presume, more with people of means, but even people of means are often more likely to choose a Twinkie than an apple. And so, how do you help them? reframe that paradigm. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up a good point. A lot of times when we get into nutrition, um, there's, you know, I want to acknowledge the privilege that, you know, if someone has the ability to work on and improve their nutrition, it's coming with some privilege. I will say a lot of the research around like chronic disease right now is circling back to it's a community issue and we have a culture of put it on the individual Um, And the more they look into that, the more they see it's like generations of trauma and communities that are, yeah, under-resourced. So I think that's going to be probably some of the next up-and-coming topics in nutrition and this idea of how do we prevent chronic disease. But I will say once we've kind of get past that, I acknowledge the privilege there. I mean, because emotions get tied into food. And so there's a lot that we can do with our like physical body and food that kind of brings us down from the emotion. So for example, I work, I do cooking classes with um, lower income groups. We have a lot of rural areas here too. Uh, It's not just the mountain town I'm in. And some of these techniques really help people connect with their body and how it feels And what the science is saying is that it's really helpful to get them kind of out of their head and their trauma and actually feeling it in their body. And we can do that through food and through smelling our food and tasting our food and being present with our food. So there's a lot of really cool kind of research coming out around that. In this last two minute answer you've given me, there's I have follow-up questions where we could talk for three hours. So this is great. We may need to do a second uh, podcast, but let me follow up with just a couple of things uh, to begin with. First of all, uh, can you unpack a little bit more what you mean when you talk about how emotions get tied into food? I don't think, I'm looking for maybe an illustration of that because I'm not sure I understand many people and I put myself in this category frequently, view food purely as a utilitarian exercise. In other words, oh, I have to eat. Let's get the most calories with the least amount of effort. So um, I'm guilty as charged of grabbing two power bars, downing them, heading out the door. Uh, and, And so I'm wondering if this emotions tied into food speaks to that. And you also mentioned getting people to smell their food, taste their food, kind of mindful eating. How, how does the emotional piece and the mindful eating fit in this? And do you have any illustrations? 
Yeah. So I've, that's something that has really drawn me to nutrition in this field too, is that it's so complicated. So everyone eats, everyone on some level is a food expert, right? And so I feel like God designed this too for a reason to have so many layers. Like we physically need the food, but um, our emotions influence how we eat. I mean, think of like when you're stressed out, a lot of times we're craving um, sugar or kind of easy access kind of calories. Um, There's also a huge like social component where it's how we connect with people, Um, a cultural component, like it's some, it's food becomes like our identity, you know, it's how we celebrate. It's, there's so many layers to this besides just your physical health. And I think that that was designed on purpose. Um, Some of it, I think it boils down to like, it helps us survive (laughs) Um, that we make food that important um, and not just, you know, the actual eating of it, but that's involved in like other areas of our life. Um, But I think that there's kind of lessons to learn in that as far as like taking, it's how we take care of ourselves. It's how we take care of other people. Um, And so there's, for the positive emotions to be involved in that, you know, you kind of also have to let the negative emotions be involved in that. And so sometimes we'll choose to eat food, not necessarily based on hunger or physical need, but something more than that. Almost as the term we use in pastoral care with people dealing with addictions is, oh, you're self-medicating right now. And it could be anything. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be unhealthy sexual patterns, but it could be Ben and Jerry's, right? Or it could be anything. And so that's kind of what you mean by emotions being tied into food. The other thing that you mentioned that uh, caught my ear was how maybe you can help reframe people's understanding of food easier in a communitarian approach rather than laying the weight of it all on the individual. And uh, I've only in like remotely remember hearing of studies where people who are, for example, dealing with weight issues, if they spend more time with people eating mindfully and making wise food choices, then they're more likely to do that. Even if they never have any education or never watch a YouTube video on how to diet, the, the kind of the culture of that group of people with their healthy habits will rub off. Is that kind of what you're alluding to? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, research is very solid on your community and kind of mirrors your health. Um, but I think there, I think kind of what you're asking to more is a little bit how do we navigate this like diet culture and be healthy in it? Does that sound a little bit kind of where you're going? Uh, yeah, I was going a couple of places. One would be if, if what you're saying about communitarian transformation is true, then I think, oh, well, then uh, faith communities would be wise to create healthy food environments and people, and then it would just rub off, you know? Yes. So that, that was one thing I was thinking about. Well, there actually are a couple cool studies around this topic using community. And a lot of them were, you know, cooking classes or community dinners um, through places of worships and churches. So that's completely being looked at and really, really interesting. And then and then the, the second point, the follow-up point is a little bit what, what uh, you had alluded to. And it's that um, 
if I do try and figure this out on my own, it's ridiculously confusing. There was a, a guy who studied a thousand rats and gave them all these various various diets, right? Like uh, vegetarian diet, low caloric restriction, keto, high fat, low fat, high protein, low protein. And uh, he came to the conclusion that finding the perfect diet was elusive. <laughs> and and so I think uh, in my like I in my lifetime have been uh, like the recipient from the news world. Uh, of the truth, I put in quotes the truth that fat's the devil, and that you got to get rid of all your fat and and eat carbs, and then later, oh, oops, sorry, we were only kidding. Actually, carbs are the devil, and uh, so you need to get rid of your carbs and eat a lot of fat, and now you're ketogenic, and then and then I go, oh wait, no, it's not really ketogenic, it's paleo, and then I go, oh, it's not really paleo. It's not even really what you eat. It's when you eat. It's one meal a day. It's intermittent fasting. It's caloric restriction. Butter is bad, and now butter is amazing and the best thing you could ever have because of vitamin K two. Like it, there's this avalanche of information, and over my life, in the course of my lifetime, I go, you scientists are giving me contradictory things. How am I to navigate these waters? And so, what would you say to somebody? who's trying to make wise choices on their own and, and they're finding contradictory information. Yes. It's, it's hard to navigate. Like one of my jokes is I find the yogurt aisle really stressful and I'm a dietitian and have like studied this stuff for, I mean, I'm on decades now. Right. So it just stuff's always changing. So I do have some really Solid thoughts on this. So my first thing is to, I want, I really like to encourage people to tune into themselves, tune out the blah, blah, blah on the internet or the latest and greatest, um, but tune into yourself. We know what our body needs and it's been, we've kind of basically been taught to ignore it. So how does your body feel in response to food? Um, which foods you know, feel more energizing, which foods make you feel like junk. I think we've kind of normalized feeling a little not great, normalized um, eating food that's not real. So really paying attention, like, are you actually feeling hungry or is there something else going on? Are you feeling stressed, tired, bored, sad, lonely? Like, what would it look like to address those feelings in a way that doesn't use food? Um, what does it look like to give your body what it actually needs? So like a really simple example of that would be, say, you're exhausted. So instead of watching TV late and eating the ice cream because it is relaxing for a short period of time, maybe we're intentionally going to bed early and actually getting that extra sleep. Or maybe we're really stressed and instead of eating the bag of potato chips, um, we're calling a friend and kind of hashing it out and venting and getting support. So I think a lot of times we go to food because we don't know where else to go with some of those harder emotions. My next tip is to, and this kind of, I think, addresses a little more like all the different diets or whatever. I think there's multiple ways to eat healthy. And so I'd like to encourage people to start with upgrading your food quality. So eat and buy the best quality food you can afford and you have available to you. 
Um, some of the questions I like to ask is like, can you picture it growing? You know, what's been added to it or taken away from it? Was it made in a factory? Was it grown on a farm? Um, would your great grandparents recognize it as food or is this a new invention that they wouldn't even realize what it is? Um, trying to eat food that hasn't been shipped all the way across the world, but it's from fairly like local places. So even like my example for that was even like, it's not that you can never eat sugar again, but let's make the homemade cookie at home that kind of takes some effort and you can pick out the ingredients and you know what's in it versus downing a sleeve of Oreos and you look down and don't even, didn't even realize you ate the last one. So really different dynamics happening there. So even in your treats, but just across the board of like upgrading that food quality, eating real food. That's brilliant. I loved, uh, I kind of put this into my own words, but you, you kind of were saying we, uh, we've normalized feeling bad sometimes like, oh, this is normal after we eat. And I know uh, for me just recently, I've made the discovery that uh, when I stop, if I feel 80% full rather than stuffing myself, mm-hmm. that my pulse doesn't rise to digest the food. I just made that discovery and I'm in my 60s. And I'm like, man, I wish I could have made that discovery in my 40s. But, but uh, I'd, I'd kind of normalized, oh, it's a, like it's normal to just feel exhausted after you eat because your body is like, you can't do anything. You've eaten, you've stuffed yourself so full that I have to spend all, all the energy now digesting because you overate. And that was normal for me. And now I go, oh, at 80%, if I stop, then I feel way better and I sleep better, you know? So re it's, I love this challenge of, Hey, let's redefine normal and not accept uh, subpar or ill as normal. And I've, I've even used in sermons, these lists and I, and I go, you know, uh, betrayal is not normal. Not sleeping is not normal. Violating circadian rhythm, not normal. Feeling bad after we eat, not it's not normal, right? Eating eating stuff where you can't pronounce any of the ingredients, not normal. And so, if we can redefine normal, then uh, we have a new vision, and that and then maybe that vision can can shape our habits. But I, boy, what you've said there, tune into yourself, know what your body needs, understand why you're eating. Uh, and then upgrade the food quality. That's just, you know, brilliant. Yeah. And that talking about like, oh, I hear it all the time of like, oh, I eat this and I, you know, get bloated or whatever it is. Um, and that's just normal, isn't it? And I'm like, no, that's not normal. That's a sign that something's not working right. Um, and I will, it kind of actually, that takes me into another tip that I have for this and it ties into emotions and how we feel and what you're saying of like stopping before you're stuffed is I really encourage people to make mealtime sacred. I know that sounds maybe a little extreme for some people, but at least make it, that's the activity that you're doing. So I think we're always rushing. Our culture lives in the state of like fight or flight where the blood is flowing to our extremities and it's completely shut down our digestive tract. So I really encourage people to make mealtime special and sit down, take a breath, 
like smell your food, taste your food, connect with either yourself or people you're eating with. Enjoy it. Enjoy the food. I think good food is a total blessing and a gift and it's made to be enjoyed and that's okay. But we just rush past it. We eat in the car and at our desks at work, even just the kitchen counter. And we don't really make time for it. Um, So it's hard to notice, like, when do I feel full? (laughs) When am I 80% full? People don't even know. We just power past it until we've, like, cleared the plate or we're out of time. You've touched on something really important, too. And we're going to get into this in our next podcast with a cardiologist. But there's a there's a definite relationship between mindful eating and heart health and digestive health. It's like that's a little ecosystem there because if I'm eating when I'm angry or rushed, or how many people are eating while they're driving, literally, right? Like we're yeah. eating while we're driving. We roll into McDonald's because we got a meeting and we're afraid that we're going to be hungry and have low blood sugar in our brain, so we we get a McMuffin or a burger or something, and then we, we eat it in traffic going to a meeting. That's a bad idea because I'm already facing like an adrenaline stress response like that, that sympathetic thing is kicking in. And, and now I don't have any energy to digest my food and the food's just going to sit there and then I'm going to feel terrible and regret eating it. And so you're, you're saying it's not just what we eat, but it's when we eat and how we eat. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, really good research. I feel like this is another kind of current thing is that whole gut brain connection, but I'm even going to go to like our blood sugar levels. So some of the research showing now is like, if our blood sugars are running high, you have a significantly increased chance of having feelings of anxiety. So there's a huge, huge connection between like our mind and our mental health, our emotions, and how we're eating. So you know what food spikes our blood sugar the most is all the processed like junky carbs that are basically like at our fingertips nonstop um, in our culture. So it's hard to navigate. Um, and again, it's like really complex. Talk, uh, uh, this is a little bit of a peripheral question, but talk to me then about snacking in light of what you just said. There's there's always like, I'm literally looking right now across my computer at a bag of potato chips and thinking, oh, that would be awesome right now. How does snacking fit into uh, the matrix of food choices that we want to make if we're trying to steward the body that our creator has given us? I mean, I think snacking, there's a place for it, but it's, you know, it's going to be healthier in that context of like checking in with yourself. Am I really hungry or is something else going on? Is it just a tempting food that's sitting in front of you that's been made in a factory to have, I would say, like almost unnatural like flavor um, and addictive quality? Like, is that what's pulling you or are you actually hungry? That's a good word. Kind of my last question here is uh, when I look at the scriptures, like food is runs rampant through the scriptures from in, in the original creation narrative, uh, this garden is given to Adam and Eve. Hey, you can eat of anything except this one. And how, how then we're kind of drawn to the one all the way to the end of time. And one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is this 
this picture in the book of Isaiah of a banquet with people from every nation gathered around this. It's poetic, but it's, it's definitely intended to show here's every culture that gather around a table. And it says in the scripture, the best meats, the best cheeses, the best wine, and everybody's eating and celebrating and saying, this is our God for whom we have waited. And not that the food is the God, but that the God who provides all the food. And so uh, the scriptures begin with food and end with food. And then in between, in, as you said in the opening, in this fallen world, the food that is given to us as a gift is just subject to such terrible distortion. It's intended to be a simple gift that we eat mindfully and receive with gratitude. And it's become a means of addiction. Uh, and now we have obesity issues. And on the other end from obesity issues, we have food phobias and eating disorders and anorexia and bulimia and all of that stuff. So if we're mindful that food is both A, a gift and B, open to abuse, in closing, if you were to offer one next step people could take to treat it more like a gift and be freed from the damaging abuses that are so often manifest in our dietary choices, what would be that one thing that you would say to somebody to move towards seeing food as a gift and treating it as such? I see feeding like myself well as a spiritual act. Um, I think so often it gets put in the category of like chores. So I'm going to feed the dog, take out the trash, clean the toilet, make dinner. Ugh, it's just a pain. And so if you can mentally take it out of that chore category and put it into this category of it's a gift. This is how I care for myself, how I care for my family, my friends. You know, this is about wellness, being like the best version of myself. This is health care, right? Self-care on a different level. And that it's worthy of kind of your time and energy. I would say just as important as anything else that's significant in our life. So I think of like a career, um, you know, your relationship with God or your creator, a significant relationship. So spouse or parenting or best friend, any athletic goal, like none of that comes easy. It takes right. time. It takes effort, takes commitment. Um, it's hard. And so I want to put good nutrition and feeding ourselves well in that category. Like it's worth this attention um, and it's worth putting time into it. And I think somehow our cultures put it in this, we're too busy to deal with that. So find the quickest way um, to get through it. And so I really encourage you to, it's almost like when I feed myself well, I can show up as close to my best self as I can be right now. I can support my family better. You know, I have more empathy for like struggles my friends are going with, going through. I can be more present with patience. I tune in. I notice like the unspoken and like the spiritual level of what's going on um, with people. You know, it comes under the context of I want to lose weight, but it's actually a spiritual void they're kind of looking to feel, fill. And if I ate a bag of Doritos for the night before, I'm not going to feel good. You know, if I right. ate good quality food, I can show up and be present for that and be kind of that vessel that God's made me to be. 
almost a little like, I like to use the oxygen mask analogy, which I know is a little bit overdone, but that put on your oxygen mask before you can put on it on other people. And I do feel like feeding myself well is kind of the one thing that allows everything else to fall into place. I would maybe let you argue that prayer might be slightly more important than that. Um, But feeding myself well, as far as like physically day to day, what I'm doing is the one thing that helps me have the energy to do these other things and like really show up for my life and show up to work on that person that God made me to be. I, that's a great, that's a great way to close this thing, Lisa. I think uh, the, the point that I'm hoping to make in this entire podcast, not just yours, but the whole project is that we're, we're an ecosystem, right? We're not just bodies, um, but we're not just spirits. And so if I'm created in order to serve and use gifts that I'm uniquely endowed with and bless this world and create stuff, I need energy and presence and mindfulness to do that well. And I won't have energy, presence, and mindfulness unless my body is functioning optimally and that won't happen without mindful eating. And and it's given to us as a gift, but it's become, as we've talked about, subject to distortion and abuse over over uh, many centuries and industrial agriculture and commercialization of food and all that stuff. So I love that you've moved us from food as a commodity almost to food as a sacrament. And that would be a challenge uh, that I think uh, listeners could 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 take up. So as we close, uh, any if you were to point somebody to, to resources beyond this podcast, next steps are there. Is there a book that speaks to you on this, or magazine articles? Anything that you'd like to recommend that we could digest? If not, it's okay. <laughs> I know there's so many books, and honestly, I think I would push you away from looking for more resources like that. And I know. I think of you as a, you know, highly intellectual person that reads nonstop and I love to read too, but I think God intentionally didn't just make us like spirits floating around like like he gave us a physical body. And so encouraging people to like lean into that and like trust that, like, what does that feel like? And eating like real foods that are meant to be foods. Um, and learning how to trust that I think is more important than like reading any book on it. I love that. You're kind of saying, read the book of your body basically and pay attention to what your body is saying to you. Hey, Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to engage in this conversation. Uh, I think I have five more questions, so we'll have to do a second follow-up sometime, uh, in the next uh, year. I'd, I'd, I'd welcome that. And in the meantime, I wish you all the best as you continue to bless others through your work as a nutritionist. And I know that people are enjoying and experiencing transformation because you are in their lives. So thanks for showing up in that way. And for everyone else, uh, thank you for listening. There will be uh, some notes uh, uh, that you can follow along on particular talking points that will be available in the notes. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time as we gather together at Spirit, Soul, Body, Wholeness. Thanks again. Bye-bye.